We thank you for the time of worship. You are our healer, healer physically, healer emotionally, healer in every way. You want us whole because you love us. And you gave your son's life up so we could be whole spirit, soul, and body. And we thank you for loving us that much. And Father, because you love us, you've given us exactly what we need. You've not held anything back. And if, we're, if we feel this morning as if we've, we're coming up short, it's not because you failed to give something. It's because we failed to appreciate it or to receive it. And so this morning we're asking you to help us to receive the word of God implanted in our heart that is able to bring the fullness of your salvation to us and to our souls. And so we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you for the spirit of God you've given him to us to not just dwell in us, but to be among us here this morning as we gather together. So he is here to take this word and to breathe it into our hearts, to touch our hearts and lives with the living word of God. Because Jesus said this word is spirit and it is life. And we ask you, Father, today to speak into our hearts everything we need to hear. And may we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to grasp what your spirit is saying to us individually and to us together as a church. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, because we've had some unusual services over the last uh, few weeks, um, I'm going to go back and very quickly review. We may take a little longer reviewing. Whoops, I'm in the Song of Solomon. That's a good place to be, but not for what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Ecclesiastes. Open Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We started by going through a number of these verses. But this is the beginning of a, of a, of a year. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us, written by Solomon, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So there are seasons. There are God-appointed seasons for life. There's God-appointed seasons for our, for, our, our, for our climate, for our culture, for where we live in. And we live in a, in, in a very seasonal part of the country. New England, we have four seasons. And, 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 and we've talked about this. It, it's, it, part of being a New Englander is learning how to go from one season to another season. So if you're struggling with winter and snow and cold, we got the good news for you that in only a couple of months we're going to go into a new season. And that season is spring. It's always an exciting time when things are new and we begin to, to get the things that have been... But winter's an important season. It's a time when the grass and the flowers and things get to rest and to get to rejuvenated. You know, in this, I don't want to get off on this because we really could. But, you know, in our own pace of life, we need to learn that there have to be seasons of just our time. This is why the Bible talks about a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. And we don't live under legalism in the New Testament that there has to be, that Sunday has to be your day of rest. But you need to have some time where you go down, your downtime, because your body needs time to revitalize your mind, your soul. But if you're running all the time, and we live in a society where there's always opportunities to do something, it's very hard nowadays to just sit and be quiet. That's one of the things that does come with sickness. It's not one of the things you want, but you get some downtime where you get to think and you get to pray and you get to just get quiet. And, and so, so why we need those seasons. And so winter is a season for recuperating. It's a season for, for, for things to rest in nature. But then we have spring where things begin to come forth and new life begins to come forth. And then we have summer, and then we're not going to go through all of them. But, but, but we know what to anticipate with the seasons because we've been through them. But there are seasons to life. And there are some seasons that are God-appointed seasons to life. 
And, and there's, there's just phases of life. I mean, there's infancy, there's childhood, there's adolescence, and then there's adulthood, and then there's seasons of adulthood. You've got young adults, you've got middle-aged adults, and then you've got those of us who aren't so middle-aged any, anymore. And there's seasons of life, and those seasons are going to come. Some people say to me, boy, you know, it's hard to get old. And my answer is it beats the alternative. Because if you're not getting older, then you're ending your seasons of life. And so, so my point is this. We need to learn how to adjust and flow with the seasons of life. And there's some seasons and changes you don't have any control over. You don't have any control over getting older. You have control over how you get older. You have control over what you're able to do to some degree while you get older. But as long as you're living, you're going to get older. The body begins to, as Paul, as Paul writes, you know, this body's decaying. It's getting older. It's in the process of dying. We can, again, manage how that happens, but it's going to happen if you're around long enough. And so, so there's some seasons we can't control. There's some seasons we, we do have some control over. But how you handle those seasons and the change from one season to another is absolutely critical. And here we see that God has ordained seasons of life, seasons for, our, our, for nature, but also seasons for the church. We're not going to have the time to go back over, but if you study church history you'll find that there were seasons for the church. There's the original birth of the church, which we have in Acts. And sometimes we want to get back to the book of Acts, but that's like going back to childhood in some ways. We've grown and learned some things over the process. So there's seasons of, a church, of the church. We came through in the, in the early, parts of the 19, early, late parts of the 19th century, we came through the charismatic renewal. Then we've come through a period after that of the explosion of the teaching of the Word of God. And now I believe we're in a different season where there's a blending together of the two of those. Jesus talked to the, to the, to the, um, the Pharisees and says, you're, you're the leaders of the, basically you're the leaders of the church. And you can, you're, you're smart enough to understand the change of seasons. For instance, you can look at nature and tell some idea of what the weather is going to be like tomorrow by looking at the sky. He said, but you're not able, you're not able to discern there are spiritual seasons, there are spiritual changes, and you can't recognize them. And the greatest proof of that is they had been all their life waiting for the Messiah to come, and he was standing in front of them, and they couldn't receive him. They couldn't receive that change of season. They couldn't receive the change in what God was doing because they were not set for that. They were locked in their own traditions, locked in their own ways, locked in what they were expecting. And as a result, they were not in a position to receive what God had for them. And then we looked at this Israel. And we studied them towards the end of last year, and we saw that God had a plan for them. He wanted to bring a change into their lives to deliver them out of Egypt and the bondage of Egypt and bring them into a land God had prepared for them, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was filled with blessing and provision where they would step into their destiny and fill up, fulfill the purpose that God had for establishing and calling that people, that nation. But we saw that first generation could not adjust to that change. They got out of Egypt all right, but they never got Egypt out of them. So while God is trying to bring them through this process of change and always to prepare them for something better, they kept holding on to their memory of what they had before. And the result is, listen carefully, God wanted to take them into this place, but he couldn't take them in. And that tells me that there are churches that there are seasons and times where God wants to take us to another level, to another place, and there are people and churches that won't go there. 
Right now, there are churches that are coming together today that are dead, that were alive and spiritually alive years ago. Because they're continuing to do the same thing the same way. Because we get locked into our traditions. And, and Pastor Kurt almost said it this morning, but he was talking about it. Jesus said, the traditions of men make the word of God, the will of God, of no effect. We can take the perfect will of God that He wants to do in your life, in my life, in this church, the wonderful things God wants to do, and although God is a powerful, sovereign God, we can keep Him from doing what He wants to do for us, with us, and in us. By, because what He wants to do for us requires that we're willing to make some changes. And if we're not willing to change, if we're afraid of change, then what's going to happen? If we're afraid of the next season and try to hold on to the current season, then although God wants to bless us, He's not going to be able to. And that's got to frustrate Him. He was frustrated with the children of Israel. Now they have to go around for another 39 years, wandering around accomplishing nothing when their destiny was right across that river. And God had to do that until the next generation that didn't have to get Egypt out of their senses, was raised up in the wilderness so that he could take them in. We talked about the fact that the decisions that we make, whether we're willing to go with God's changes or not, not only affect us, but it affects the next generation. It affects other people besides us. It affects people that aren't even in the family. What we do with what God wants us to do will affect who God hasn't been able to reach yet, but wants to reach through us. So there are things God wants to do in your life and in my life. I believe this year, there are things I know God wants to do in Faith Christian Center and through Faith Christian Center. God wants to do them. God's power, God's ability, God's Spirit is here to do it. But are we willing to follow this change of seasons that He may have? So we talked about last week, and I realized it was a small congregation, but so I want to just review quickly. We talked about last week about the fact why we resist change. And we resist change because, here's a real insight, we're human. Now, human's not, humanness is not an excuse, but it's the reality of understanding. Hum, in our humanness, we like what we know, and we're comfortable with what we know, even if it's not good. There are many women, even some husbands, living in very destructive relationships that are afraid to get out of those relationships and just do common sense protection for themselves because the, the, the old expression is, the devil I know is better than the devil I don't know. I'm not saying your spouse is the devil. But the point is, I, I, can, I, I, can, I, can, I, I can tolerate the status quo. Why? Because I'm familiar with it. I'm secure in it. Even though it may be destroying me, I'm secure in it. But whenever we go through changes, what happens is those changes require us to let go of some things that have given us a sense of safety and stability and step into the unknown. And it's the unknown that creates fear. So one of the reasons we resist change, and, and understand, there's some changes you don't have any choice about. They're going to happen. The question is, are you going to flow into the change or are you going to fight the change? And so, so the, the fear of the unknown is one of the biggest obstacles because if I, if I don't know what's going to happen, unknown things generally create fear. And Jesus, and the other re, one other reason we don't like change is we're just lazy. I just like doing what I'm doing. See, we, we are creatures of habit. I can know that because I can close my eyes and tell you where you sit. 
And it's wonderful because it allows me to take attendance without actually counting. <laughs> now, the further back you get, the harder it is. Now, that's not encouragement to sit back there because it's just harder to see back there. But we're creatures of habit. So we go through life one day after a time, just like we take steps one step after a time. But if we don't have this kind of perspective, all we're doing is looking at the next step and we have no idea where it's going. And so our pattern is we get up, we go through today, and I, I, I'm, I'm very much, I have routines. And I get up Sunday morning, I get up at the same time Sunday morning, I know what I'm going to, I'm going to get my cup of coffee, I'm going to go get my Bible on my iPad, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pray a little bit, talk to the Lord, then I'm going to look over my notes, and then I'm going to eat my oatmeal, and then my wife's finished her shower, I'm going to, I'm going to go through all the details, but I have a routine. And, and every in mornings I have a routine, I go through routines, and we all have routines. And the routines are fine because that means you don't have to get up in the morning and figure out what to do. The problem is when that routine becomes your security. And then what happens is we're just taking one step after another without having any idea where we're going. The steps we take, the days we take one after another, what we do during the day should be to get us towards the goals, towards the destination that God has for us. Otherwise, we're just like the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness, not going anywhere, just biding our time until we leave here. And what a horrible way to, to live a life and then to stand before the Lord and basically say, I wasted my life. I survived. I made it. Made it for what? I mean, it's wonderful to make it, but now you live eternity with having just made it. Instead of all remembering all you could have done and seeing what God could have done, wanted to do through you. And so it's important for us, it's important for, for God, His plan, that we learn how to flow with Him and adjust to His changes. So we don't like to change because it's unfamiliar. We get afraid of change. It's unsettling. Also, sometimes just because we're plain lazy. So we began to look last week at how, how, do, we, how do we do this? And, and we looked at a great example in John chapter 14, where Jesus talks, Jesus is about to, to, to there's about to be an incredible change in the lives of these 12 disciples. Well, one of them is about to betray Jesus and die. But the other 11 are about to go through a drastic change, and Jesus has told them about this before, but now it's the last night and he's preparing for this, and the change obviously is this. They've just spent three and a half years living in the presence of Jesus himself. You know, we, oh, I feel his presence. They, don't have to, they just reach over and touch him. They could see him. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back over that. You need to listen to last week's message. But Jesus is now preparing them for this change. And John chapter 14 tells them, starts out by telling them to not be afraid. Don't let fear in your heart. Don't be anxious. Don't be sorrowful. Don't be afraid. And then he tells them four things to help them go through this transition. And we talked about those in depth last week. I'm just going to mention them to you. The first thing he says, he says, you believed in God, believe also in me. So the first thing he's telling them is that, that you need to have your eyes off of you and have your eyes on the one who's directing you through this change. That if you've trusted God, you can trust me. So in order to, the reason we get uneasy going through change because we don't know what's going to happen is we don't have confidence necessarily that there's somebody that we can trust that's going to go through this with us. So basically he's saying, you can trust me. I'm the one that's leading you through this change. 
Trust me, get your eyes on me. Don't look anxiously about you and look at the past and look at the unknown future. Keep your eyes on me. You believe in God, believe also in me. The second thing he says is, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, this is going to be for your advantage. Later on, he tells them that. It's to your advantage that, you, that I'm going. It's to your advantage we're going to go through this change. Because when I go, I'm going to ask, and they're going to send, God's going to send the helper. This change is going to be for your benefit. In other words, there's a future for you. There's a hope for you. And this change is taking you another step towards that. This is why hope is so important. When we lose hope, when we lose the vision of our hope and the focus of our hope, we begin to wander, we begin to, to get discouraged with where things are now. And Jesus is telling him, what's about to happen? I'm about to be crucified. You're going to see the very one you put your trust in crucified before you. But in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he said, but I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back for you. So there's a hope that he's saying. So we need to look at this. We need to look at whatever the changes we're going at, that God's leading us through them. And we can trust him. Secondly, he's always leading us through changes of seasons in our life and in a church for something better. So if we're not willing to let go of what we have now, which is what we're going to start looking at today, then we're not going to be prepared. We're not going to be able to receive the better that he has. But you've got to know and believe there's a better out there to receive. And then the third thing he said is that that he knew the way to get there. And that Philip said, well, Lord, no, (laughs) it's not that I disbelieve you, but we don't know the way. And then Jesus gave this wonderful, powerful answer. He says, I am the way. So we don't have to worry about how we're going to get there. We don't have to worry about I've sometimes I've and I used to with my own mind question this. How do you you don't know where we're going? There's some pastors out there, they got a three year plan, a five year plan, a ten year plan. I've got a January fifteenth, two thousand seventeen plan. <laughs> Up until one PM this afternoon. <laughs> well, I have more than that, but my point is I don't need all that. I just need to know the one who's leading us through this and stay as close to him as I can, because Jesus is the way. So whatever path God's taking you on, He is the way. So all you've got to do is stay close to Him. And He he is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have to worry about it. He leads me into paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me by still waters. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll not fear because his rod and staff come for me. Why? Because he's leading me through that. I believe that when we leave this body, if you're in Christ, that literally angels come to take you home. You don't have to figure out how do I get there. You're escorted into his presence by emissaries sent to bring you to him. So there's nothing to be afraid of. And then the last thing he told them is that you're not alone in this process. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you. But I'm going to send the same spirit that's been in me to be in you. My presence is going to be in you. So he was preparing them to lead them through this tremendous, drastic change. But this change was so critical because if they don't accept it and embrace it and go through with it, we wouldn't be here. Because the change was to birth the church. And Jesus was having to step out of that role and put that role in their hands. 
And so often to move on, to move to another level, there has to be change, and the problem is we get used to that. And I'm not going anywhere, so don't get, don't get nervous. But there has to be changes, because they got used to talking directly to him, and now he was going to elevate them to a place where the, he could now work through them, because then it could be spread. Otherwise, it could only go to wherever Jesus was. Because if, if they stayed where they were, sorry, the fact that he hadn't died for them and paid for their sins, then the church could only be where Jesus was at one place at one time. But he said because he would go and send the helper, the helper would be in all of them. And now they were, the church was now just not one. The church was now in 11 of them, 120 of them. And then within a day was now in 5,000, then 3,000, then another 3,000, 8,000. And then it just began to explode. What a problem for the devil. He just had to keep track of Jesus to begin with. Now he's got to keep track of thousands. And now it's untold millions, and we're part of that. But that would not have happened if they had not gone through this change, this change in the season of their ministry, of their life. So, we ended last week with this statement, that that there are some common myths out there. We're going to talk this morning about the attitude of change. So we're, and then next time we're going to, well, we may not get through this morning, but the next, the next subject is the action of change. I don't usually do first letter points, but I'm, we're doing it today. The attitude of change. And, and one of the first obstacles to that is, well, I'm too old. I've been around too long. To what? That's an excuse. Because your ability to change... It simply comes from an, the attitude you have towards it. There's the old expression, you can't teach an old dog, teach an old dog new tricks. Let me tell you a little story. We had a little dog named Mandy. You've heard the story of her when I talked about renewing the mind. When, we took her, when I took her to obedience school, which was not to teach her obedience, it was to teach me obedience so I could teach her obedience. There was, I remember talking to, uh, one of, to the leader of it. And I was telling, because I was seeing tremendous results in our dog. And, I, and at that point, my father-in-law, Anita's father, had, a, had a, 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 a full-size poodle named Pepe. And Pepe was a wonderful dog, but totally out of control, because Pepe became the replacement child after his two daughters got married. And so Pepe ate from the food of the table. Pepe got to do whatever Pepe wanted to do. And Pepe ran that household. And, and, and my father-in-law kept saying, well, Pepe's old. You know, the same thing, well, I, you know, I can't do anything with him, he's too old. So I decided, I'm going to ask this trainer, is that really true? And he looked at me, he said, absolutely not. He said, I can teach any dog to be trained. Now, with an old dog, it may take longer and be harder, because there's more they got to unlearn, but you can retrain any dog if you're determined enough to do it. So the fact that you're too old or you've been doing it too long is simply an excuse. I began to realize, probably 10, 15 years ago, began to dawn on me, I'm getting older. And I began to realize certain tendencies that were starting to creep into my mind, which is, well, you know, I've always done it that way. I don't really want to change. You know, it's, hard. it's just easier to sit here and continue to do the same things. And it sort of startled me because I realized I was starting to get old in my mind before I was getting old in my body. I'm not old in my body yet, but started to. And so I realized I've got, I've got to therefore make myself change some things. I've got to, I can't let myself sit and just accept the way things are. 
Now, sometimes you've got to accept the way things are, but I've got to be willing to be open to other ideas, open to new ways, new things. One of the greatest examples was my wife just began, because I, the car she had before this one had satellite radio on it, and she began to listen to Christian music, contemporary Christian music. And I'm thinking, I was listening to that. Yeah, how do you listen to that stuff? And she was really beginning to enjoy it. And then she was talking about the names of these people. We started having concerts here. So I started listening to some of it and began to really like it because I changed my attitude about it. I remember we had a, in a law firm I worked in out in Oklahoma. We went to these, this dates it. They, when I got there, they were using typewriters. Some of you don't know what a typewriter is. You're too young. And, and so they brought in word processors. Woo! Computers that actually could type things. And the, and the woman, the, the secretary that learned it the fastest was in her 70s. The younger ladies had more difficulty with it. And I marveled at that because this woman was her attitude towards it. She was excited. She saw a new opportunity to do things easier and faster. And she embraced that. So she was willing to learn that the training that they took her through, whereas some of the younger ladies were not quite so open. And so it's an attitude that we have. And so the other attitude we can get is it's just too hard. It's, just, it's too hard to do it. Well, I'll leave you with a statement about that. It's harder to not change than it is to change. Because although it feels easier to not change, in the long run, it's a lot harder. When you ask the children of Israel how hard it was to spend the next 39 years walking around in the desert, would it have been easier to be in the land of milk and honey or be wandering around in the desert? It seemed easier to not go in, but in the long run, it was a lot, it would have been a lot easier. It's always easier to follow God. There may be difficulties in the process, but in the long run, it will be easier. So we're going to begin this morning, and we won't get finished with this, to talk about the attitude of change. This is something that I teach when we teach on, in, on uh, the course of the renewing the mind. Because I start out by saying, you can have all this information, you can have all the techniques I've taught you, you can have, but if you're not willing to change, it won't make any difference. And that's true, of, that's true of coming to church. That's true of our God, reading the Bible. If you don't read your Bible with the attitude, I'm willing to change, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. There's a verse, I think it's at the end of Ezekiel 34, where God had told Ezekiel some of his purposes for his ministry. And then at the end, he says, oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to come to church, but they're not going to listen to you. They're going to say at the end, that was a great message, I'm, I'm modernizing the terms. But they never came with an attitude of changing. They never came with the intention of changing. And he said, they're just like somebody who's been entertained somewhere else. So to bring it down to modern terms, what God was telling Ezekiel is, they're not going to listen to you. Still preach, still preach the word, but they're not going to listen to you. He says, because they don't come, they don't come with, with ears to hear so that they can change and, and adjust to what I'm saying to them. So they're really no different than people that are going to something else to be entertained. Which means if we don't come to the Bible when we read the Bible, if we don't come to church when we hear the Word, if we don't, whatever, whatever word we're hearing, if we're not open to allow that to impact us and to be willing to change, then it's no different because when we leave saying, wasn't that great? Oh, I enjoyed that so much. But if we're not changing, how is that any different than going to a good movie? Or going to a good concert and say, boy, that was really good. I enjoyed that experience. But if it doesn't change you, it was just an experience you enjoyed. 
And yet the Word of God we've seen before is the seed of God to bring the life of God and the change of God into our lives. And there are things God has for you and for me. And I'm talking to me as much as you. There's things God has for this church that if we're not open to change, we'll miss. Things God has for us. Not bad things. Things God has for us. So having an attitude of change is critical because without it, your attitude determines, well, there's only expression, your attitude determines your altitude. But your attitude determines what you will do, what you will receive. So we're going to begin to look at some of these attitudes, and, and, and we need to really examine them in ourselves. So first of all, what is an attitude? An attitude is a predetermined way of looking at any situation. There's a, there's a term we use in a little different context. It's called prejudice. So if you have an attitude about certain people's nationality, if you have an attitude about certain people's racial background, if you have an attitude about certain people's educational status, that determines how well you're going to receive it. Let me get a good, good example. I was raised in a family where education and intelligence was, was, was considered the measure of your value. Totally untrue, but that's what I was indoctrinated with. Of course, you're never indoctrinated with this with people that don't have a very high IQ and people that don't have a good education. So it was family that had a good education were, were brilliant. I got this attitude from them. And, and I, it really became pride. And I had to struggle to overcome it. And I believe I pretty much have. But I remember, <laughs> I just had my physical this week. It kind of brought it back to me. I used to go into a doctor's office. And some of you know what I'm going to say. I start looking at the plaques on the wall to see where he went to medical school, and then I would look for the date to see how long ago it was. Now, I wasn't doing that out of curiosity. I was doing that to decide how much I can trust this guy, or woman in that case. And if, if they went to a prestigious, or what I deemed was a prestigious medical school, then I had greater confidence in them. And if the date on their diploma was more than 20 years old, then I had even more confidence in them. The only thing is I went to law school with some people that graduated high in my class, and I would never have gone to them for advice. So it's a fallacy. But that's the way I was indoctrinated. So it's, I had a preconceived idea of whether I could trust this doctor based on standards that I had built in, that had been built into and I had accepted in my mind. Everybody with me so far? So even, even I've wondered to people, that doesn't happen to me recently, but well, yes it did, yes, yesterday. I've run to people sometimes that will maybe run to me in a supermarket and almost go by me and say, oh, it's you, hi. And it's like, and, and I've had people, I haven't had this in a long time, say, I didn't recognize you without a suit. As if they think I go to sleep in a suit, I get up in a suit. You know, I, you know. <laughs> why? Because this is all they ever see me in. So they have this preconceived idea, this is what I'm like. I'm not exactly like the way I am up here. I'm actually a shy person. I don't want to get off on that. I'm, I'm, yeah, some of you are laughing at that. I'm a shy person in my own personality. And so, so my point is this. We, an attitude is a preconceived idea and what that preconceived idea is, it filters out what you're not open, what doesn't fit in with that preconceived idea. So, so this is why Jesus said, the traditions of men, the preconceived ideas of men, make the word of God of no effect. 
And so, so this, there are things we have to look at and examine in ourselves because there are attitudes we have about certain teachings in the Word of God. Some of you come from, from traditions where, where you were taught that, that, that the baptism of the Holy Ghost or, or speaking in tongues is of the devil. Well, you can't find that in the Bible. That's a preconceived attitude that men formed, but if you're taught that, it makes it harder to receive those gifts that God has for you. Some of us were raised in traditions that it's not God's will to heal anymore. It passed away with the apostles. You can't find that in the Bible. But it's men's teaching and that gets ingrained in you. So it makes it more difficult to receive something. That's part of renewing the mind is changing attitudes. And that happens up here. So it, it determines how you're going to, it controls you. How, how much of the word God's going to, you're going to be able to receive and therefore what the word of God's going to be able to do in your life. But we can change our attitudes. But you have to be willing to look at them and you have to be willing to change them. Because unless your attitude is based on the word of God, it's going to rob you of what God has for you. So, we're going to begin to look at some of these attitudes and we won't finish them today. But we'll start them today. They're worth spending some time in. The number one attitude actually is a desire, and it's the desire to change. If you don't want to change, you won't. If you don't want to, if you don't, if you don't want, if if you don't want to grow and mature, you won't. You'll get older, but you won't. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're maturing. I've known some some twenty-year-olds that were very mature, and I've known some seventy-year-olds that acted like two-year-olds. So your age does not determine your maturity. And so you have to be willing, you have to be having a desire to change, a desire to grow. And in fact, one of the things that Jesus teaches, which is part of the faith teaching and message, is whatsoever things you desire in your heart, Mark 11, 23 and 24, 24, whatsoever things you desire in your heart, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And somebody said, well, I've done that. I believed I received it, but I wanted it and I didn't get it. And I've discovered that in talking to people like that, not every case, but in many cases, it's because I go back to find out what was it you really desired in your heart? What did you really... He didn't say what you desired in your head. What do you desire in your flesh? What do you desire... What do you really want in your heart? Remember in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, Ask and you'll receive... Do you ever ask and not receive? I won't ask for a show of hands because I'll give you a chance to lie. We've all asked for something. But that word ask, this is where it's helpful to do a little bit of research. That word ask is a Greek word that doesn't mean just to ask a question. It means to express or to cry out with a deep inner, innermost need for something. I used to wonder why one of the prayers that I found that got answered the quickest was when I, and I'm gonna, I don't want to shock the sound people, but I would yell, Help! <laughs> there was nothing theological about that. There was nothing doctrinal about that. There weren't scriptures coming out of my mouth, but it was coming out of the depth of my heart, out of a need, crying out for help. And I remember one time in Tulsa when I'd been believing for a healing for something for years, and I finally got so frustrated. Here I was in a faith school, learning how to pray in faith, and my faith wasn't working. 
And I went and shut the door in my bedroom and I just said, God, I'm angry. This ought to be working. And I began to get angry at God and I heard so clearly, oh, now you're in faith. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've been saying all the right things. I've been doing all the right things. And he said, yeah, but it hasn't been coming from your heart. It's been coming from your head because you know that's what you're supposed to do. He said, but this just came from your heart. You're frustrated because in your heart, you believe you should have had this by now. That's faith. And the amazing thing is, the healing came right away. It's the desire of the heart. Now, I'm going to say something that may sound hard to you at first, and it may challenge your thinking, but just hear me out. Many people think they're desiring something that they're not desiring. I don't do a lot of this now, but when I used to do more counseling as a pastor, I would, one of the first things I would try to identify, and I was taught this by some professional counselors, is to find out why are you here? What is it you want? Because I can't help you beyond what you want. And many times what people thought they wanted wasn't what they really wanted. They would come almost always because there was some kind of mess in their lives. There was some kind of something going wrong, either financial or, or, or in some time, many times it was financial. It may be in a marriage. It may be in some other relationship. And they would come after, you know, years of doing things that were producing this and expect me in an hour to fix it. And, and, I, and, I, and I would try to, try to listen to what is it you really want. And, and many times when they would come and say, look, I, you know, I, I'm struggling with this. You know, I, we're in, I'm in a terrible financial difficulty. And I would ask them, what is it, you know, what do you want? Well, I, I need money. And, and it would be sometimes in a marriage, or maybe it's a physical situation. And what I began to hear, because what I would do, I'll give you a little clue. That's why you may want to come to talk to me. i give them homework. I would tell them something to do, which is what I saw in my heart to do, which oftentimes didn't look like it was going to give them the answer that they wanted. But I knew it was a step towards that, and I would find out by what they did with that what they really wanted. And what I discovered is many people didn't want to be free. They wanted relief from the difficulty they were going through. Oh, that went over big. They wanted relief, and I've done that. That's why I could recognize it. So people would come with a financial difficulty. Say, Pastor, I'm in trouble. I can't make my pills, pay my bills. And my first question is, are you tithing? Well, what's that got to do with it? I need money. <clears throat> well, tithing's everything. Not because of the money. Tithing reflects an attitude towards God. It, it's, it's, it, tithing means I'm trusting because tithing doesn't make sense in the natural mind. I, I'm in need, so I'm going to give out of what I have when, I, when, I, when it doesn't make sense. I should, be, I should be keeping enough so I can take care of my family and then give to God what's left over. But that tells me the attitude of my heart is God's last in my priorities, and that's where the problem is. So in order for the circumstances to change, the attitude of the heart has to change because God's able to deliver you from anything at any time. God can drop money out of a... I had him once, literally, put $50,000 in my mailbox. I'll tell you that story. So I'll get your attention. <laughs> How'd you do that, Pastor? If I told you, it wouldn't work for you. Because I didn't do something so God would do that. I listened to what he was telling me to do 
so I could make the adjustments on the inside so he could meet an immediate need I had. Never happened again. Because God, you, the moment you, moment you tell God how he's going to do it, he's just crossed off one possibility that he can't use now. So I've learned don't get anything out of his hands, any opportunities or channels out of his hands. I want him to be free to use anything. If it's a raven, he's got, well, I don't care. I don't want to do that. Anyway, so my point is this. We're talking about the desire of the heart. So you've got to go back and check what is it you really desire. And sometimes you need the Spirit of God to show you. We've got to become a little more self-aware. You can become too self-aware. But we've got to become a little more self-aware of God, you know, show me, talk to me. I need to hear from you. There's an old expression from, from I won't go there because I don't have time. So it's the desire of the heart. So what a lot of people are looking for is relief from the initial pressure, but they're not looking for the permanent change to get out of where they are because it's, it's, it's what John says in 3 John. My will above all, my brethren, is that you prosper in big good health, even as your soul prospers. So the prospering of our soul, the growing and maturing, the, 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 the changing in, of, of, of the of maturing of our soul determines the prosperity of the rest of our life. And we want the prosperity of our bank account, we want the prosperity of our body without having our soul to mature and change. God's more con- God wants to take care of all of you, but He's more concerned with the man on the inside than the man on the outside. So if you make Him choose, that's what He'll work on. And so the desire is important. There are people that, that have been believing for healing that really don't want healing. And they'll have trouble receiving that because their condition gives them certain benefits. They get in first in line. They get special attention from people, maybe from their family now that they're in whatever the situation is, they're getting special attention. I remember, you know, my mother, we had five boys when I was growing up, so you didn't get a lot of special attention, but you got sick and you got some special attention. So, you know, there were times it was just tempting to get, you know, I'm not feeling too well and I can either push this one way or the other and, you know, maybe I'd like to stay home today. And, you know, it'd be nice to lie down and stay home and watch TV and, you know, get pampered a little bit by mom and, you know, fed some of her good soup and, you know. But my motive was I really wanted some attention. I didn't want to get well. But I'll get well tomorrow or the next day, but I don't want today. I want to stay home. So we need to look at the examine. God, what what do I really want? So if we don't really want to change, you won't. If you don't really want to change, you won't. Let me give you quickly an example here. Um, Luke 18. Familiar story. It's a rich ruler, young ruler that came to Jesus and wanted to know, what do I have to do? Luke 18. I was in here this morning. 10, 11, 14, 16. See, I can count. 18. Verse 18. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but my... But that, there's no one good that is God. In other words, my goodness comes from him. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So Jesus is 
loves this man. He's not trying to be hard on him. He's trying to get to the heart issue. And this man is trying to justify himself, saying, well, I'm, I'm good. I've done all these things. And Jesus says, all these things I've done for my youth. Verse 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said, okay, you still lack one thing. Wouldn't it be nice to be told by Jesus you only lack one thing? That's pretty good. You only lack one thing. Wow. What is it? Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, that doesn't mean we all have to sell all that we have, distribute to the poor, in order to follow him. Jesus was getting at the heart issue. Because what he was basically saying is, I want to follow you. I want to be right in your eyes. And Jesus can discern where his heart is, what he really wants. And he's getting right at that issue. And he gives it homework, just like I do. He says, let's find out what you really want. Here's what you've got to do. Just one simple thing. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Then you can come and follow me. Jesus was getting at his heart what he really wanted. And what he really wanted was the security of his possessions more than he wanted to follow Jesus. Now, I believe with all my heart, it does not say that, but I believe with all my heart that Jesus was trying to help him by identifying where his desire really was. Because let's read on. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. Look at verse 24. When Jesus saw that, he became, saw that, he became sorrowful. So Jesus is grieved that this man has walked away. By the way, it's interesting, he didn't go chase him. Did he? He didn't go chase after him, did he? He discerned where his heart was, gave him an opportunity, and the man said, no, that's too much to pay. I don't want it that much. I, I want to be known as those that follow you. Oh, this is going to get good. I want to, be knows that the, I want to be known as those that follow you. I want to be among your, your inner staff. I might be, but, but Jesus said, yeah, but this is what it requires. It requires a strong desire. Well, I don't desire it that much. I don't desire it that much. And God, by His Spirit, has ways of showing us what we really desire. Now, here's the good news. He already knows. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what the desires of your heart are. So if He has put you in a situation to show you, it's not to reject you or hurt you. Jesus was sorry that He walked away. It's so that you, He can help you change the desires of your heart. But if you see, this man was not willing to change. So here's an opportunity by the master himself to help him change the desire of his heart. And because he looked at it and said, this is too hard, he walked away and Jesus could not help him through this change. Everybody following me? So the desire is the beginning. You will not do what you don't want to do. You're receiving this morning just what you want to receive. So if you're having trouble, you need to check your want to. What it is you want. And be careful. Our hearts can be very tricky this way. Because we'll, we'll present our best case to ourselves. And we'll talk about that later, not today. Okay. First is a desire to change. Number two is openness to change. Or a better word is teachability. 
teachability. Those, those attitudes I talked about that are obstacles, which is, which is, you know, you can't teach an old dog new trick. It's basically, I'm not teachable. That's not a function of age, it's a function of attitude. I'm a teacher, and somehow God instilled in me a desire, I always want to learn. I don't, I don't know. In fact, there's the old adage, the more you've learned, the more you know you don't learn, have, don't, don't know. And that's really true. So if you think you know a lot, you don't know much. Because the more you know of this, the less aware of yourself you are, and the more aware of Him you are. It's a willingness to look honestly at yourself. It's a willingness to look honestly at yourself. All of us create masks, M-A-S-K-S. Back in the old days when the Greeks were the prominent um, culture, one of the predominant parts of their culture was the theater. And a lot of our modern theater comes from that. And, And they would play actors. They would become characters. But what they would use to do that is a mask. They would put a mask on that would communicate the heart or the attitude of the character that they had. So if somebody was a, was, a, was a comedian or somebody was happy, they would put a mask on that would communicate that. Well, we do that too. We put on our mask when we come to church. How are you this morning, Tim? I'm blessed. <laughs> My life's falling apart. I have no idea what I'm going to do to make to, to provide for them, but I'm blessed. We want to look our best to other people. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as that doesn't become a wall that keeps God from reaching inside and touching you. Another term for this is to be vulnerable. I'll give you an example of this. I don't remember when it was last year, probably in the late spring, early summer. I shared with you the, the diagnosis that I had been given and what lay in front of me. And I didn't do that just to do it. I did it because my, because my first instinct was to not do that. I'm a private person. But I really felt God tell me to do it for two reasons. One reason was so that... So that the people found out later on what I went through and didn't have the chance to pray for me and for my wife because they love us, they would feel cheated. And the second reason was to give others an opportunity to see a way to walk through this, not to just, you know, I'm healed right away and I don't have to go through this, but there's a, there's a walk you walk. And that part of that's being real. Being real. So to do that, I had to be vulnerable. Talk about a personal aspect of my life. But as I did that, that draws people in. But it also humbled me. Because I had to take a mask down. For a faith preacher to be able to say before you, there's cancer in my body, and I've stood for this, but my faith is not at the place to get rid of this now, and yet I believe the Word of God is still true, and I'm growing in my faith. But what that does is allow you to see, I'm not some super saint that's out there, I'm walking the same journey and walk you're walking, but it can be done. But not only did that do something for you, it did something for me because it allowed me to now begin to receive things from the Lord that I would have had trouble receiving before. 
Because I was because here's the church. You don't just when you put a mask on, it's not just for the other people in the congregation. It's for people close to you. It's also for you, and it's for God. So now this mask, this image I want people to think of me, not only protects what people think of me, but it also keeps God from getting in there and showing me things because I want to present my best face to Him. I want to present my best face to my wife. I want to present my best face to my family. So I want to look good. But that's pride. It's pride. And, and I do want to get into the scripture, but in James, talking about change, he talks about that. He said, submit to God. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he talks before that about some hard attitudes. He calls them a bunch of adulterers. And he's not talking about physical adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He says, and you've got strife among you. Why do you do it? Because you're murdering one another. Not physically, but out of strife. You're hating one another. You're jealous of one another. He said, not only that, you're committing spiritual adultery. Why? Because you've got other things first in your heart before God. You belong to Him. You've been married to Christ and you're looking to other things to supply your needs other than Him. That's adultery. That's getting from someone else or something else what you should be receiving only from your spouse. There are some things I can experience with you, but there are some things I can only experience with my spouse. That's how God's ordained it. That, that creates a special bond there that's sacred to us. But we have that with the Lord. So we tell our troubles to everybody else, but we don't talk to Him about it. We get into a difficulty and we call the helpline, we call the prayer line. There's nothing wrong with that, but without going to Him first. And so James is talking about some serious stuff in there, which we'll get to on Wednesday nights down the road. And, but then he doesn't leave you there. He says, so instead of being so joyful, you need to mourn a little bit when you recognize where you really are. But then he says, here's the answer. He's, by, by the way, he says, you know, and the Spirit of God puts in you, yearns for you jealously. That sounds like a marriage relationship. You're not turning to me, you're turning to other people first. And then he says, but here's, here's, I got good news for you. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you just admit it, by the way, I already know it. But if you admit it, pull your mask down. You're not the perfect Christian. You don't have the greatest, you know, you're, you're, this is, let me show you where you really are. Because I already know, and I still love you, but I can't help you if you will not let me in to show you where you are so that I can take your hand and bring you out of that. So our pride, which is what this mass does, keeps God from coming in, meeting us where we are, because we're trying to pretend we're somewhere we're not. And the person we fool more than anybody else is ourselves which as we'll see later on when we get into James on Wednesday night, that's why it says you, can de- you deceive yourself. When you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's not that the devil deceives you. It's not that some teacher on TV deceives you. We deceive ourselves, and that's the greatest tragedy. We did it to ourselves. Because we, we don't, we're not willing to be vulnerable, teachable, realize I don't know everything. I stood here one day and said what I've said several times. 
<laughs> I don't know where we're going. That's your leader. But I know the one who's taking us. I got uneasy around leaders that are so confident, spiritual leaders that are so confident, they know where they're going. Because they don't need to listen to God. I remember walking up and down here very soon after I ended up in this position as the senior pastor. I said, God, did you know what you did here? Do you know me? Obviously he does. And I went over some things that I think a pastor really ought to know how to well do well. And they were some of my weakest points. And said, so, God, I'm not a man of vision. I'm not all these things that I think a pastor ought to be. Why did you choose me? And he said, because you don't know. Because I don't know. I said, yes, you have to ask me. If you thought you knew, I wouldn't have chosen you. Because you know you need me. Remember what Jesus, when he called his disciples, what he called them to do? Follow me. He didn't say, let's have a training session. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do for the next three and a half years. Then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen after that. Then I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. He says, all you got to do is follow me. To follow him, they just had to keep their eyes on him and go where he went. Teachable. If we're not teachable, what we're saying is, I got it, I got it all together. And we do that because we want to feel good about ourselves and we want other people to feel good about us, but they don't, they don't have it all together either. So when, when we, this is why the Bible says, also, James has got a lot to say about this. Oh, Lord Jesus. We're going to have to end here. Praise the Lord. I just forgot. Oh, he said, he said, confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Be real with one another. And therefore, the, the grace of God comes when we're real because we can't receive grace when we think we have it all together. But when we're real and honest, then we're in a position to receive God's grace. And I need God's grace now because we're running late. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we put our lives into your hands to trust you. We've trusted you with our eternal destination. Help us to trust you with where we are now. Help us to trust you with tomorrow. Help us to trust you with our hearts. That as we open the door of our heart and put them into your hands, that you love us more than we love ourselves. You'll take care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. And you only want what's best for us. Forgive us because we've not trusted you. Forgive us because we try to govern and control our own lives to take care of our own self because we didn't trust you or anybody else. Thank you for being gracious to us and patient with us. And so we come to you now, Father, to ask you to op help us to open the doors of our heart that we could truly see the desires that are in there, that you could help us to change those desires, that we could truly see the how teachable and open we are and how vulnerable we're willing to be. And where we're not, where we struggle, Holy Spirit, help us and strengthen us to do that. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.